This is the Darren Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz. I've been interviewing musicians, comedians, and all sorts of entertainers for almost 20 years. Joan Rivers, Flavor Flav, Paris Hilton, members of Guns N' Roses and the Eagles, and countless others. This show is about artists and why they do what they do. On this edition of the Paltrowcast, which I'm recording live from the Hilton Columbus Easton Hotel in beautiful Columbus, Ohio, I spoke with three very successful entertainers from very different walks of life. Judas Priest singer Rob Halford, Toto guitarist and prolific session musician Steve Lukather, and Leah Vandell, an actress and dancer also known for portraying Carmella in the WWE. First up is my phone interview with Rob Halford from Judas Priest. Rob and band are still touring the world in support of the Judas Priest studio album Firepower. We spoke about his years living in the U.S., his love of theater, and his creative process in addition to some other great topics. Hello, Darren. Good to speak with you. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. Uh, Where are you calling from today? I'm calling you from my beautiful home in Paradise Valley in Phoenix, where it's just hit 100 degrees. (laughs) Wow. Lucky. It's actually the spring there. It is. Yes, it is. Absolutely. And um, it's been interesting to go through the last uh, few weeks over here to go from um, some chilly, chilly, chilly night. A chilly night in Phoenix is, is in the 50s. In the 50s. <laughs> and, now, and now we're, we're, uh, we're hurtling to, to a triple digit uh, time. So I, I'm about to leave shortly and head over to Florida and uh, and uh, escape the desert for a bit, but I get back at the end of the at the end of the firepower tour after Las Vegas. I'm back in um, back in Phoenix, like um, Independence Day week. So it'll be it'll be roaring and boiling by then. That's for sure. Well, I remember seeing video of you singing the national anthem at a Diamondbacks game around 20 years ago. When did you first move to Arizona? Oh wow, yeah. Um, hey, that's so cool that you asked about that, Darren, because. Let me think. Um, I can't remember how quickly that came about. It was a very special moment, wasn't it? The, the, that, that venue is phenomenal. I haven't been in there for years. Uh, the Diamondbacks are doing pretty good at the moment. Uh, I think I moved into the Valley around 81. And um, it's a magical place for me. It's a bit like my, my heavy metal Shangri-La, you know, it still is. Even though I saw on the news last night that this is like the largest Maricopa County is the largest growing county in the United States right now, and uh, that's that's quite spectacular. And I can sense that when I when I drive around town uh, in 2019, as a, as opposed to 1981, you, you can tell the vast difference. It's a great place. It's a wonderful place. Yeah, I'm still a Brit at heart, uh, but um, I'm also what we call a desert rat. So. <laughs> I split my life between the two places, and I love to be in Phoenix when the opportunity arises. Well, you're not the only heavy metal legend or hard rock legend that lives around that area. I believe Dave Mustaine's around there. I know Alice Cooper grew up around there. What is it that you think Ooh, yeah. that attracts you know the hard rock legends to specifically the Phoenix area? Well, we're we're a simple commute to Los Angeles, uh, which you know, LA. I don't need to say any more about that being the place that it is for entertainment. And um, 
I don't know. It, it is a pretty extreme place, uh, Phoenix, as far as as far as that summertime desert heat. We are literally in the middle of a desert, and there's just something very attractive about that to, to musicians' creativity. I think, you know, uh, it's it's hard to describe, but um, the great state of Arizona is is a beautiful place. I mean, you know, you you get in the car and drive couple of hours north of here and things start to cool down again into the high country you say goodbye to the cactus and hello to the pine trees you know and you go through Flagstaff, uh, Prescott, uh, Sedona, beautiful Grand Canyon it's just got a lot of things going for it in in many many ways but um, yeah there's um, there's a thriving community here musically and and, and otherwise so uh, and it's still got a little little bit of that what's left of the embodiment of the wild 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 west you know, um, there's very little of that left in the United States that I remember when I first came here in the late 70s. So, um, yeah, a lot of good things uh, are happening in Phoenix right now. Well, tying that in with your career, anybody I know who's seen Judas Priest in the last five years, the first thing that they comment about is, wow, Rob is still singing at a high level. He sounds as good as ever. Now, does your living in a hot climate like that have anything to do with your vocal care that you wanted to be around that as opposed to being in a colder place where it might be harder to sing? Well, I would certainly say that your environment, the, the place that you're living in has some kind of reflection on your performance. Vocally, for some people, it's a nightmare because it's a dry heat and vocalists generally need to have that kind of, you know, the, the, the elements of, of, um, the weather working for you because you, 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 your vocal cords are precious things. And I've been using mine for nearly 50 years now, you know. But um, now, uh, you know, I went from one, one extreme to the other. Being born and raised in the Midlands, the, the harm of heavy metal and, and what wasn't, and to some extent still is, the, the harm of the steel and the iron industry. You know, walking to school as a, as a kid, I'd be breathing in the fumes heavy metal from the factories and the foundries um, even before the music was born, you know. So you, you mix that up from, from, from where I was as a, as a little kid to this, this beautiful place. And um, I'm sure that all kind of plays into the texture of, of your role as a, as a musician and, and definitely into your performance. Your latest album, Firepower, really is an album that a lot of Judas Priest fans felt that was your strongest in many years because a lot of the songs sound like singles, yet at the same time, it's still very, very heavy. Did you guys spend a lot more time writing that than the past few records? You know, being in a band is like being in any team. Uh, and, and particularly, I, I always make the analogy between uh, being in a band and being in sports because the great, great things come out of teamwork. You know, and, and it's a five-man team in Priest. So um, all of that rehearsing and hustling and, and building your game plan, so to speak, happens before you even start creating the songs. And that was the case with the Firepower record. Our game plan was just to try and get all of the great um, elements of Priest uh, and focus in on them. When I say elements, I mean the things that we've done for nearly 50 years focus in on all of those those really important vital elements of priest and make them all kind of coalesce and give us a direction and the direction was to you know get this great classic classic vibe this great classic texture the priest has always had 
and 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 that that's how we kicked it off. Now, I think again, once you've got your game plan and everybody's everybody's going for the same direction, you know, the, you know, getting into the hoop, getting into the back of the net, you then work as a team to write your songs, write your music, and the the days that we had writing as a team, Glenn and Richie and myself, are terribly exciting. With with creativity, with your game plan, some days work better than others. Some days you kind of hit a wall and you can't quite make things click and connect. And then other days, it's just it's flowing, it's flowing, it's nonstop. And those are the those are the great days. So I think we took about maybe a month, maybe two months, very very tops, to map out all of the material uh, for Firepower before we went into full production. But uh, man, it was just a great record to ride. We're still thriving in the success of Firepower as we go out back on the road for the last leg of the U.S. Uh, uh, Canadian tour that kicks off soon. And it was about a decade that you were out of Priest, and you were very prolific as a solo artist and with your side bands and all that. And a lot of people really loved the album Resurrection. Do you think there's any chance that we might hear any of the material from that or two or fight? Do you have any plans to do solo tours or anything at any point? You know, I think you never close the door on those possibilities, those opportunities. My band for life has always been Judas Priest. Even when I was away from the band, you know, I felt connected. Um, when you step away from, from your anchor, you, you tend to drift off into different directions. And I had wonderful times with the Halford guys and uh, the same with, with Johnny from, you know, John Five, who's now with, with Zombie and his work with Manson, a bunch of other great people. And he's a very talented player in his own right, takes his own John Five and the creatures on the road. You know, you think uh, linking up with Trent Reznor, who co-produced that record with Ray Valgrevy from Skinny Puppy, and then um, you know the, the, the fight record with JJ and Brian and, and Russ Parrish, Satchel from from um, Oh Lord, excuse me, I can't Steel remember. Steel Panther, um, yeah. you know Panther, yeah. So yeah, here's the deal: the, the songs are always there, aren't they? And, and I still hear these songs now and again on the radio. And when you hear the songs, it gives you a buzz. You, you go, I wonder what, what would it be like if, if we, you know, if we hooked up again and just had a jam and maybe took it on the road for a show here and there. Anything's possible. I think the, la- the last thing you do in life is say no. <laughs> Don't say no, you know, uh, in, in, these air- in these areas that we're discussing. So we'll wait and see. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely committed to Priest a thousand percent and we have so much more work to do. But if the opportunity arose, arises, we'll look at it then. Well, is there anything in your career that you haven't yet accomplished that you still want to? And I ask that because, you know, you are a person that inspired generations of performers. You sold millions of records. You're still playing arenas, stadiums, and festivals around the world these many decades later. But is there anything you still haven't done that you hope to? Well, it's some of it's the simple stuff. I keep in recent uh, days talking to my friends uh, about this this tour and about this the Firepower record. Um, I've got this blues album in me that needs to come out. I, I love the blues. I, I listen to the blues nearly every day. I keep and I haven't done that for a while, so I feel like my internal clock is heading towards the blues. In some respects, I don't know what kind of blues record it would be because the blues is very eclectic and varied much like metal to a certain extent. 
So there's that. And, you know, I, I, had, a, I had a call many, many years ago um, from Elton, John, Elton John's people that wanted me to be in AIDA. And um, I couldn't do it because I was really, really busy. So, uh, and I was just talking to a friend earlier about a, music, a stage musical. They're going to go and see the Wicked, which I can't wait to see because I've read the books. By, by great author. So I think that the stage, the musical, the showbiz Broadway side of the stage is, is something that I'd like to kind of um, get my toe in the water for, you know, regardless of, of, of how small it is. Because you see, when I left school, I worked in the theatre for a couple of years. I was about 15 or 16. And I stood on the, I stood on the side of the stage. I was a liking guy. I, I went really quickly from working on the side of the stage, so actually operating all the lights for, for a lot of the shows. So I saw all the greats, the, the, the British greats in all shapes and sizes, whether it was repertory theatre, whether it was uh, big big operatic productions, whether it was variety, vaudeville. And I just loved that element of, of the, the singing performance wrapped up in theatre, you know. So that's that's kind of still on my bucket list, which, which I hope to... Um, achieved at some point. Yes, I hope to see that as well. Uh, so, in closing, Rob, uh, any last words for the kids? Oh yeah, keep listening to metal. <laughs> the best feeling in the world. Um, it's just uh, it's a thrill. And if there's any, uh, and I'm sure there are some young musicians or any kind of musician, you know, if you if you've got the if you've got the opportunity to be in any kind of band at any kind of level, cherish it because it's, it's the greatest feeling in the world being in a band and, and, and either jamming together in a rehearsal room or the next level when you're playing to, you know, a bunch of people that have come to see you. It's, it's brilliant. It's beautiful. Uh, so, you know, I send a shout out uh, and, and good wishes to all of my fellow musicians, wherever they may be. Next up is my chat with Steve Lukather, the Toto guitarist who's played on thousands of albums. Luke also wrote a great-selling memoir last year, while Toto is also about to release a comprehensive box set. This man has a lot of stories, and it was just a lot of fun to speak with. Hey, it's Darren. Thank you very much for your time, first and foremost. Am I getting you in Los Angeles today? You are. So you have a box set coming out. How long has that been in the works for? Oh, God. Well, now... From the first time I pitched it to uh, the heads of Sony in New York, probably three and a half years, maybe more. I don't know, you know. I forget, you know, it was a big sell because I managed the band now, too. So I went there and I I told them, listen, we're going to do this, blah, blah, blah. There had been, you know, they wanted to do it. And I said, well, let's do this right. And I wanted to remaster all all the old albums from the unequued master tape not the master of the master of the master, you know. I want to go back to the egg, and we got Elliot Shiner from Steely Dan fame, and an old dear friend, and to come down with Gavin Larson and Ruben, uh, and all those guys over there, man. And they we went through it from chronologically from the first album to all the Sony stuff to the present day, and we recorded a brand-new record. We found some old tracks and finished them, and it was a huge process, actually. And... Uh, it was a celebration of our 40th anniversary of all the stuff that we had done. Now it's our 43rd anniversary, so that gives you an idea of what's going on here. 
Uh, plus, we've been on the road for a year and a half, and we're going to keep going until the end of October, and then we're going to sit back and take a break for a second and see what happens next. But uh, it's been a wild journey, I can tell you that. Well, the era that I really, really got into Toto was falling in between. And I remember at the end of that album, mm. you were kind of burnt Really? Out. Okay. Well, you were kind of, you know, publicly a little burnt out, and you said that this is kind of the end of the Toto, and, you know, I don't really want to play a lot of these hit songs so much anymore. But well, now, at the time, you know, we had a singer that really couldn't sing and made it hard. It wasn't fun anymore, you know? It was kind of like, ugh, it was painful. Poor guy. I mean, we're still pals. I mean, you know, come to a point where if it's not there, it's not there. Yet when I see you guys live now, because I've seen you since then, and I've seen a lot of videos, and of course you've got this major resurgence again, you know, yeah. you guys look like you're having fun. So what is it that makes the old stuff fun to play again? Well, first off, I'm with my childhood friends. But uh, it, we've, it's fun to play in front of an audience. I mean, I would never sit around my house and play Africa, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, but definitely not. But when you get in front of, you know, a big crowd that's singing along and there's a vibe in the room, I mean, that's that's the greatest buzz in the world. I mean, we don't get paid for the two hours plus on stage, man. That's free. If we get paid for all the other wear and tear, the other, you know, 20 hours a day that we're not, you know, at the gig or traveling or whatever, you know, that's the big payoff for us in playing, playing the shows, you know, so that never gets old. Well, I'd imagine that for you personally, it never gets old because... You're doing the Toto thing. You're doing the Ringo thing. You pop up at guitar clinics. You pop up in all-star projects. So it's the kind of thing where you might be playing an arena on Tuesday, an award show on Wednesday, and a club on, on Thursday. Yes, that's been my whole career. Or you know, The only thing left was the recording studio. I've been, that's, you've just, uh, in four words, described my entire life. You know? Studio, gig, travel. <laughs> You know, whatever, the whole deal, play live. It's been it, great. I mean, I blinked and 43 years went by. It's really scary because, you know, we, we're, I, I used to be the youngest guy in the room. Now it's like Sir and all sorts of crazy shit. It's pretty wild. <laughs> well, I, I like to describe the way that you are is that you're the guitar hero's guitar hero in that you can do all nah, the I ain't all that, man. I'm not even close, but thanks. But no, man, I don't. No, man, I know all those guys, so. <laughs> in, in terms of guitar heroes, a lot of people look at Rivers Cuomo from Weezer as a guitar hero who kind of harnesses it but brings it out on occasion. And I'm curious if that was a band that you were familiar with before they started covering Toto. Not really. I mean, I, I I knew who they were. I heard a couple songs on the radio, which I thought were kind of were good. I I wouldn't. Uh, I don't know what a guitar hero is, man. That means something to a lot of different people. Some people see a a, a guitar hero as Ingve Malmsteen. Some see it as Keith Richards. You know, that depends on whatever blows your skirt up. You know, I mean, uh, the term guitar hero does conjure a, a certain thing, I suppose, but. Yeah, it's it's kind of like, does anybody really want to be the fastest gun in the West because everybody's trying to shoot you in the ass, you know? It's a young man's game. I'm, You know, when I was young, yeah, everybody, you know, is, is I want to be the biggest, baddest, most ferocious cat in town, you know? You know, and, you know, I hung around with all the guys. You know, I made a little name for myself. You know, I'm okay with all that, you know? I mean, you know, I, I'm not a Rolling Stone magazine favorite, you know? Our band never has been uh, a hipster favorite, you know? So we would never be show up on any polls like that, but 
you know, in Guitar Player Magazine and around the world and all that stuff. I've been on the cover of all these magazines a lot of times and won polls and uh, all that sort of stuff. But, you know, that's not my motivation in life. It's nice, but, uh, you know, I just want to keep moving. I still practice. I still just got a new book that I'm excited about. You know, I practice for me, you know, not to be the biggest, baddest, fastest gun in the West, but to, you know, open up uh, new ideas, you know, expand my harmonic vocabulary for my personal things. I love to play the guitar. I love to make music. I would do this no matter what. It's just I've done it since I was a single-digit kid. I'm still excited about music. It still makes me smile. You know, I'm very, very blessed and grateful for my career to be able to write musician on my tax returns for 45 years. I had some terrible jobs when I was a, a young kid just to motivate me, but I've always been a musician and uh, been busy and never been out of work. So knock wood, you know. You hear that? That's wood. Nice wood deck. <laughs> well, I, I do have a question about the wood deck in a couple of minutes. But before I get there, um, you know, an interesting, another th interesting thing about your career is how many times you've been cool and uncool and cool again. And I'm wondering when you started I don't know if I've ever been cool, man. I mean, that, we, were never, we were never the hipster band, man. We were always like, you either liked us or you didn't. You know, and, you know, we've hung in there. We took all of our punches, you know. I'm like, okay, punch somebody else for a while, you know. I, I, you know, now people are giving it a second look. They're going, you know, these guys played on a lot of records, and they, they've survived a lot of crap. I mean, two brothers died in our band. What are the odds of that, you know? We, we've withstood every bummer, every punch, every bad review, cruel stuff. I mean, people wanted to sterilize our parents and stuff like that. You know? <laughs> it was so bad it's funny. Uh, but no, man, you know what? I'm just happy to still be here. You know, however it gets here, some people have gotten into it, they never liked it, or they hated it, and now they like it, or they used to like us, now they hate us because Africa's been played too much. I mean, I, you know, I, I can't put my hands on it. I, I do know that our, we have like three generations of people showing up at our shows, and a lot of young people, because of the Weezer thing, because of all the EDM guys, DJs that have been playing Africa in their sets, you know, Skrillex and uh, What's So Not, who my son plays with. Um, and, and all these other really cool DJs out there doing stuff. And they've kept it for some reason. It just hit a nerve again. And it hit a nerve way bigger than it did the first time it was a big record in 1982. Well, I feel, though, that that's only been the American narrative, that you guys really no, never it's a worldwide thing, man. You know, we've always done really well worldwide, but in America now, we're finally catching up. Right. Well, I had the pleasure of seeing you abroad about 10 years ago on the Fallen In Between tour in Japan. And you said a funny thing between one of the songs. You mentioned your deck before, you, where you said, this next song bought me my house in the desert as one of your banter pieces. Is that true? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah that's, that is true. What happened was uh, my song, I Won't Hold You Back, which was on Total Four, was a big ballad. It was a, it was a big record. It was a number one record. And then some DJ grabbed my voice and sampled some stuff off of it and entered the UK charts at number one, sold like, you know, a half a million units in, in, in the UK alone. And then it spread all over Europe and all over the world, not America, ironically. Um, it was a huge record. Number one everywhere, every DJ, every dance club, blah, blah, blah. And the guy didn't get a license. So uh, I had my people uh, deal with it, and I got 90% of the royalties. So it bought me my house in the desert. I used to have that house, then I got divorced. Now I don't have that house. Isn't that some song somewhere? It's like Joe Walsh song. You know? 
Life's been good. <laughs> Jeez, I'm bringing up all the positive topics today. <laughs> no, it's fine, dude. I survived all this crap. I mean, I got, you know, it's 10 years ago. Well, I'm friends with everybody. Up. We're cool. You know, I got four wonderful children that I adore, and their mothers were great. They're great moms, you know. I, I, you know, what am I going to say? Nobody beat anybody or nothing like that. It's just, you know, I have a very weird life and a very weird job. Not easy to hang on to. Or actually, a guy. I'm, sorry, I'm laughing at myself. It's early in the morning. You're somebody that did have success while they were in high school and right outside of high school. And unlike, I'm sure, a lot of your peers besides the, the fellow members of Toto. And I'm wondering when you realized that this was going to be a lifelong career as opposed to just something you were going to do for a few years. Probably when I was nine. I was in my first band. Because I saw the Beatles on the television on Ed Sullivan when I was seven. I got a guitar, meet the Beatles, figured out how to play some of it, and then it just started. I started to have an aptitude for this thing. It's a weird story. It's in the book. Uh, it's sort of like one day I could play, and the next day, I, uh, one day I couldn't play, the next day I could. It was very weird, almost like a on switch in my life. And it's a long story that I don't want to get into, but um, it just came really natural to me and. I was in a band immediately. So from when I was a little kid, I told my dad when I was nine or ten, he patted me on the head. He goes, so what are you going to do with your life, kid? And uh, I just said, oh, well, I'm going to be a musician. I want to be like the Beatles. <laughs> my son, my dad patted me on the head. And, and, he's, and he was in show business behind the camera. You know, he was an assistant director. And he patted me on the head. He looked at me. He goes, you know, at the time, the Beatles were like, what, two, three years old, you know? Uh, you know, and everybody was mad for it. You know, everybody wanted electric guitars and long hair and a whole bit, you know, but I said, look, I want to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to be like them. I want to play with them. You know, and I said something, something goofy like that. My dad said, you got a billion and one chance kid. Now this is in the sixties. So a billion once would be like, you know, you got a trillion and one chance. So, you know, I, and I, without even blinking, I said, well, that's going to be me. And he laughed and he said, well, good luck, but you might want to look at something else too, you know? as every father would tell us, especially back then, it wasn't exactly a possibility in their eyes that you could make a career as a musician. They just thought of like old jazz junkies and shit, you know. Well, then fast forwarding, of course, decades later, and you're pretty much the longest tenured member of Ringo's band and all that. And yeah, man, well, that's what I mean. And you add it to, you know, all these years later, I worked with Paul first on the Thriller record, then we did some other stuff for him in, in the U.K., and then, um, you know, I worked, then George, I met George, and he played with us at the tribute to Jeff after Jeff's sad departure. Um, and then we became real good pals for a while, and then he, he got sick and passed, sadly. When my, my very first guitar hero then became my friend. It was deep for me. And then Ringo was looking for somebody. I always wanted to be in the All-Stars. And, you know, we started hanging, and I've been in the band, you know, seven years and plus we've just been working on a new record and we've become great friends i adore this man i mean i really do then he invited me to do the beatles 50th anniversary tv show of you know 50th anniversary of the night they they played on ed sullivan and they asked me to be in the band all-star band me and my and my pal and hero peter frampton on guitars and you know kenny aronoff and uh, don was and it's crazy it was really fantastic actually and and it really hit me there. I'm sitting here like 50 years later from the moment I looked on my TV screen in my parents' house to here, and there's Ringo and Paul, and I'd worked with them, and I'm working with all these great stars, and I'm going, Jesus, what are the mathematical odds of that actually happening? 
it was very humbling and it really hit me hard. I went, wow, man, I pulled it off, you know, and and the lesson learned here is don't ever give up on your dreams, kids. Cause I was told it was impossible, but impossible became possible because I didn't believe in the word impossible or the word no, you know, no is for when you're doing something bad. <laughs> not when you're doing something good. Were sports ever a big deal to you, or was it always music? I was terrible at sports, man. I was bullied unmercifully as a child. I was really small, shy, super skinny, and terrible in sports. And believe me, they didn't let me forget it. I was tortured on the school bus every day. And I was brutal, man. The guitar saved my life. When I when I got one and I figured out how to play it, and then it just started to come naturally to me, then I became a sponge. Finding I ended up hanging out with a bunch of older kids because they wanted me to be in their band, and that sort of threw me in the deep end to a lot of things a little kid probably shouldn't have seen so early in life. But you know, I was never really um, what was the word I'm going to say. I was never really a little kid in the sense of once I strapped a guitar on. I had found my place on on planet Earth, you know. Uh, my my grandmother and my mom's mom was a bit of a new ager way before the time. She had some pretty wacky friends, and I was born in 1957. So one of her friends was a psychic at the time, which was really considered taboo, taboo. <clears throat> Who put her hand on my mom's pregnant stomach when she was 19, and uh, told her that I was going to be a musician, and that was pretty weird. And here I am. Did you ever, you know, get to come full circle on the jack, jocks by, you know, playing the national anthem in a sporting event? No, you know, I, I <laughs> to me, that's a real touchy thing. You know, uh, Jimmy did the definitive guitar version, in my opinion, and everybody who straps on an electric guitar after that is just doing an impression of Jimmy and usually some good and some not so good. I don't see the national anthem as a rock star pose myself i think that i love it when somebody sings it great and sings it the melody without you know over riffage you know uh you know i think it's 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 not it almost cartoons it when you do it jimmy was doing it at a time when it actually meant something and no one had ever done it before it was considered whoa that was pretty heavy it was and it was a political statement about the vietnam war and uh it meant something at the time now it's it's almost like a spinal tap thing to me, you know. I would never do it. I say that now. I mean, I uh, plus everybody at the sporting events. Nobody cares about your guitar playing, you know. They don't just get me want to watch the game, you know. Also playing like the Super Bowl or something like that. I mean, that could be career ending, you know. One and it has been career ending for some cats. Uh, you know, just uh, one bad mix, you know what I mean? And it goes out to a billion people, and uh, that's pretty. That's a risky roll of the dice, you know? Well, looking at everything overall, you know, now that you are a well-selling author and you, the box set and the songs are getting covered and you're still playing arenas and all that, is there anything that you haven't done that you're still hoping to do in your career? Well, I'm going to make this documentary, which I thought was pretty pretty whack. Uh, I, all these things came... The things, I mean, there's it's stuff that I never thought I'd be doing, like write a book, be, do a documentary, do some other things, you know? I got I'm gonna I got another solo record on the table. I got my I'm gonna do a I'm in a band with Billy Gibbons and Kenny Aronoff and Fabrizio Grossi and um, there's things to do. I'm gonna take some time off after Toto, 
after all, because it'll be two years on the road as, you know, two years plus, maybe two and a half years or something like that, um, in October when we finish our last date. And, uh, you know, we'll come back uh, down the road and see what happens, you know. But it's, uh, right now we're just going through the cycle of the 40th anniversary, and it's 40 years, I can't believe, you know, 43 years, 45 if you count a high school band. My God, I haven't even thought about that. That's terrifying. Uh, but that's what family's for, you know, and that's what we are. We are a family. And what is Good, it that, uh, what is it that keeps you based in LA all these years later? Oh man, I'm like fifth generation. My, my, my grandfather, who was, uh, also in, uh, the movie business behind the camera and then my father behind him and then, oh, hit my grandfather's father. And then there's me and then my, my oldest son. And then I have a youngest son. So how many generations? That four or five generations. Sure. Uh, L.A. My mom went to Hollywood High School. My dad went to Beverly Hills High School. Kind of cliche, right? <laughs> I, live in the, I live in the Hollywood Hills to make it even more of a cliche. Got it. Got it. And do you have any favorite restaurants that you can recommend to readers that are in the L.A. area? Ooh, yeah, I do. Best sushi bar ever. Chiba, North Hollywood. Sounds like North Hollywood, really? Yeah, trust me. I've been around the world. I was just in Japan twice in the last two months. Um, this is the best sushi bar. Chiba on Lancashire. Uh, oof, there's a lot of great restaurants. Marino's Italian in Hollywood. Wow, fantastic. Old school. Uh, family owned, you know. Uh, Sinatra and Sammy used to eat there. Uh, let me see. Uh, this all best burger joint. Uh uh, Boneyard Bistro, Kobe Beef Burgers. Ooh, they have chili dog donuts, like the Pink's Chili Dog in one bite. Oh, look out. Visit your favorite Bob Marley shop first. So, uh, Luke, I guess uh, in closing, any last words for the kids? Yeah, uh, don't do this at home, kids. Be nice to your parents. Don't do drugs. Uh, take the Uber if you're partying. Uh, let me see. Uh, don't cheat on your taxes. Don't cheat. Don't be a bad person. Be nice to people. What other advice is there? Yeah. <laughs> be nice to people or stay out of the way. You know, it doesn't have to be this difficult. It's hard to read the news every day, isn't it? Last but not least is my chat with Leah Vandell, who is better known as WWE superstar Carmella. Leah recently launched her own line of wines, and we kept the focus of our conversation on that before talking about fitness and career goals. Even though she called me from sunny Florida, there was some wind in the background during our call, so apologies for the temporary audio difficulties, but it's a fun chat. Hi, how are you? Great, thanks. Where are you calling from today? I'm actually home in South Florida. Nice to be home. <laughs> I can imagine. So I want to ask you a bunch of questions about your new brand of wine that you have coming out. And I'm curious when you first got into wine in general. So I've just always loved wine. Once I turned 21, um, I never really drank wine before. And one of my girlfriends was like, no, you have to try it. And at first, I, I honestly didn't really like it. And then uh, the more and more like different types I tried, um, I started with white, and then I dabbled into red, and now I love red wine as well. Um, and ever since, like I guess the rest is history. I just... Um, for me, like when I'm on the road, if it's been a long day of traveling, I just like to unwind with a glass of wine at the end of the day. And it's always been wine rather than beer or spirits for you? Always. I mean, unless I'm like watching football and eating wings, then I'll have a beer. But other than that, I'm, a, I'm very partial to wine. So how long was this line of wine in the planning stages for? 
Gosh, it's been in the works since maybe um, August or September of last year. So it's been a process. And was it that a vineyard came to you or you just had the idea and you reached out to some vineyards? I reached out to several different companies and then the, this company that I was, that I am partnering with, they were, they loved the idea and uh, the rest is just history. They love that I have a following and they love everything that I'm really like representing with this wine and this brand. So um, we've just formed like a really good partnership and um, it's been so much fun. Are you allowed to talk about which vineyard that is, or you like to keep that private? Yeah, it's um, Michael Solberg, based out of um, California. And so they're one of the companies that you went to and, and all that. But where did the name, this great name that you have for your brand, where did that come from? <laughs> so I'm Italian, first of all, and um, I really wanted to do something that was authentic to like everything that I do with WWE and Carmella and my background, everything I like to involve being Italian. I, I just, I love my roots. I love my upbringing. So I really wanted to do something with that. And I just wanted to tie it in with basically, you know, what my career is and what I'm doing outside of WWE and couple Kanye uh, translates to boss bitch. So I didn't want to just come out and say boss bitch because that's all like, you know, some people might be offended because it's so blunt. So I figured what, what's a better way to go about it than the Italian version of it. And, um, yeah, here we are. Now, it's really great with the branding that you've done so far, where you've pointed out that this is not a wine for wine snobs. Did you know outright that you want to make a, a wine for the average person that just loves wine and doesn't care about the price tag? Absolutely. So I am, I'm personally not a wine snob. I don't like to spend more than $20 on a bottle of wine ever, unless it's like maybe a special occasion. But even that, I don't like to, you know, break the bank on a bottle of wine. And I just feel like there's really no wine out there that, like, relate to or, like, target, you know, the audience I'm going for, which is, you know, girls like me and um, guys like me as well that just, um, you look at the bottle and it's, like, fancy. It looks fancy. It has, like, the label itself has, like, a really cool texture to it. And it looks fancy, but it's actually not expensive. So I just wanted to really target that sort of market where, you know, you're bougie, but you're on a budget. <laughs> right. So you have two varieties that are announced so far, or are there more in the works? There are more in the works, but right now we're just starting out with a Chardonnay and then a Cabernet. Uh, I just wanted to do a red and a white for now. Uh, potentially, we'll be getting into maybe a white Zin, and I definitely want to get some bubbles going because I love Prosecco, I love Champagne. But I'm starting it out slow. I don't. I just want to test it out and see where how it goes and, you know, the feedback we can get. And obviously, it's not going to be perfect right away, but... I just, I'm just so excited that this is actually happening. So we're going to start slow and then, you know, there's definitely room to branch out. Are there plans to use your brand to do other projects and other products in general, or is that just a one-off for the wine? That's a great question. I really want to create Capo Kanya and like build it as just, it's a, a brand. Uh, like I said, it means boss bitch. So there's so many ways it could go with it. Um, there could be clothing, it could be accessories it could be anything it could be other sorts of food beverage I, I honestly have no idea the sky is the limit um and i don't want to like put a cap or a limit on it um so i guess we'll see where it goes but right now we're going to start out with wine and then you know just kind of go from there in general though where in the process did the the name come from because you know you mentioned that liking to tie everything to italian but did you have the name after that you knew that you were doing the wine like was that the last piece of the whole process no, it's actually way prior. Um, a while ago, I wanted to start 
I have a big fitness background. So I used to teach Zumba and be a personal trainer and all of that. So I was really trying to think of, um, I was trying to create my own like fitness class, to be honest. And I was coming up with different names and ideas and I was like, oh, boss bitch, like, that's really cool. Like, I wonder what that would be in Italian. Because obviously, like I said, that's not something a lot of people would, they might be offended by it. So I wanted to, like, put it out there but not be too blunt. Um, and I had found that translation, like, this was, gosh, maybe two years ago. Um, and then nothing ever came from the fitness class because, you know, it's just so busy with my job and my lifestyle that I have right now. So then when I realized I have this opportunity with the wine, I thought, you know what, this is, like, the perfect name. I didn't even have to, like second guess it was just like it came to me right away and there was the rest is like i said just history got it and i believe you were teaching a zumba class for charity back at wrestlemania weekend uh, did that wind up happening i did yeah i taught a zumba class and it benefited um susan g Komen. so it was really fun it was in the middle of a mall and it was just really cool to be there and have our fans there and interact with us and um there were a couple other WWE superstars there with me, but it was it was so much fun. I love fitness and everything to do with it, so that was really, really a lot of fun. And before you came to WWE, you were a successful dancer besides the fitness and the training you talked about. Was dance always your chosen sport growing up, or is that just the thing you excelled at and became famous for? Dance was my life. I've been dancing since I was three years old. So for me, I just, I love performing, and I did it all through high school, and then I went, um, I cheered in the NFL for the New England Patriots, and then I was a Laker girl for a year. So, um, gosh, I, I did the most I could, I felt like, with dance, and I felt like it was time to move on. And like I said, I do love to perform, so that's the best part about being in the WWE is you're playing a character, you're performing for a crowd, and I just love feeding off that energy. People know you, obviously, worldwide for your work with the WWE. And they're going to start knowing you more for the wine. But is there something that you wish more people knew about you professionally or feel that you might eventually try and break into otherwise? You know, that's a great question. I have no idea. And to be honest, I never thought I would be in the WWE. I never thought I would be a, a wrestler. That wasn't something that I thought, like, a girl of my size could do. Um, but I'm here and I'm doing it and, you know, having a great time with it. And it's led me to so many other opportunities again here with the wine and without my career in WWE, I wouldn't be able to have this platform and the fan base that I have to explore this world of wine and create my own brand and everything like that. But I've kind of just like let things unfold the way they're supposed to. I don't really have a plan. Um, just kind of like go with it because I mean, it's working out for me so far. It's worked out for me my whole entire life. I, I'm having so much fun performing and traveling the world, and I'm having so much fun learning about the wine business. And I have a degree in marketing, so I'm really trying to put that to use now with the not only marketing myself and my Carmella character, but also with the, the couple Kanye. So ultimately, having accomplished all this, you know, you just mentioned going around the world regularly and all that as part of the WWE. But WWE or otherwise, is there a career accomplishment that you're most proud of at this point? Oh, definitely uh, becoming the SmackDown Women's Champion with WWE. Because, like I said, it wasn't something I ever thought I would do. I never thought I would be a wrestler. So then to train and be doing it for such a short period of time and reach the height and become champion that says a lot I think about you know work ethic and how hard I, I tried and worked at becoming a wrestler so to me that's like the ultimate to know that I can go down history as being champion because there's nothing higher than that you know um, so I feel very fortunate for that and then in terms of your work ethic 
you know, being a very productive person, knowing the schedule that you keep up, are you big on to-do lists or calendars or how is it that you're able to get so much done? I am so anal when it comes to like a schedule and a routine. I've just always been that way since I was a kid. I don't really use the calendar. I don't use anything. It's just always in my head. It's like my whole entire life is planned down to every minute, like even including like going to train with my personal trainer. It's like, okay, I have... 30 minutes to get there and then do my training and then I have 30 minutes to get to the next appointment I have. Everything is so meticulous for me. It's getting to a point now where I can't even keep track because everything is so crazy with doing with WWE and traveling all the time and now with the wine. It's just been crazy. So I don't know how much more I can handle at this point, but so far so good. (laughs) Sure. Now you just mentioned training though. Uh, what is it that you usually do to stay in such great shape? Being on the road, it's a very like strict schedule. You're in airplanes, you're on rental cars, you're in hotels. So for me, I always make sure I, I do cardio every morning when I'm at my hotel. And then I always try to at least spend in three days on the road in the gym. And then when I'm home, like I said, I have a trainer I work with three days. I'm home a week. Um, but a lot of times, you know, we're traveling and we're not, um, our regular schedule, we have three days off a week. But that's, pretty rare to get because we're always have different tours you know we're going to Europe and then we have Australia and we're in Japan and it's just it's always on the go so I always make the gym a priority for myself and then for somebody like you is diet the biggest part of it a big part of it or is it as long as you're exercising six or seven days a week that you can do what you want and you can enjoy all the wine you want well that's why I work so hard in the gym so I can enjoy my wine and not feel guilty about it (laughs) Um, but for me, I really am big on diet and nutrition because a lot of times we don't have time to get in the gym. You're traveling, you get off the plane, you have to go right to the show, and then it's on to the next town. So if I can't get in the gym, then I have to make sure that my diet is on point. But if I'm pretty good in the gym that week, I'm definitely going to enjoy some pizza and plenty of wine, that's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so I guess in closing, any last words for the kids? Gosh, well, I guess the whole message, you know, for couple Kanye is, you know, being a boss bitch and, you know, never taking no for an answer, whether you have a goal or a dream, if it seems so far-fetched and it seems like something that you could never, ever do, you need to put your mind to it and make it happen because, man, I never thought I would be a wrestler. I never thought I would be able to have my own wine. And I'm not just saying that. I really never thought it was something that could happen. But you work hard and you put your mind to something, you can do whatever it is you want. Thanks for listening to the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz on the Pure Grain Audio Network. More information on the Paltrowcast can be found online at www.puregrainaudio.com. Until next time, have a great Shabbos. (laughs) 